You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? You are about to hear another episode with Dan Chavel. I am excited to introduce you guys to Dan because he has set the bar really high over the last 10 years for grinding it out online and creating an incredible personal brand for himself by affiliating his name with other amazing entrepreneurs from all walks of life. He ran for a very long time something called the Personal Branding Blog, and uh, he has really raised the bar for a lot of people on social media. So I'm excited to get you this treasure trove of information that we are about to present. It was awesome to catch up with Dan, someone whose work I've admired for close to 10 years. But first, I wanted to tell you real quick about Under 30 Experiences Columbia. We are relaunching our Columbia trip. If you were between the ages of 21 to 35, we would love to have you to Cartagena. Columbia is a place where I have been five times, and each time I just can't get enough, especially there in the historic area of Cartagena. It is really an amazing place. This is a short five-day trip. It's a low barrier to entry. I mean, I don't even know where to begin besides the Colombian coffee, the fresh seafood, this coconut rice. You know I'm low-carb, except when I'm there in Colombia. Seriously, I would love to give you guys money off this week with discount code COLUMBIA2019. Check the details on under30experiences.com. Check it out. It's an amazing trip. I don't have to sell you on that. Full of culture. Sit back, listen in. Dan Shaw Bell, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson. And today I am here with Dan Shaw Bell. He is a New York Times bestselling author of Back to Human How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. He has a podcast, Five Questions with Dan Shaw Bell, and he is somebody who I've been following. For at least 10 years, we were just catching up off camera and I kept saying, all right, let me just read your bio and then we can catch up because it's interesting. Yeah, your, your work over the past decade has been really interesting. We followed similar paths. So Dan, welcome. So happy to be here with you, Matt. From New York to Austin. <laughs> yeah, I was. so I was in New York. We were just playing catch up in New York and then took off, travel, have Traveled over the world for the last six years and uh, yeah, kind of landed here in Austin as our company has grown under 30 experiences, our travel company. Then, uh, yeah, it was just kind of more and more of a necessity to come back to home base. And you know, we have about 10 people working in our office here uh, in Austin. And but we have little satellite offices all over the world. So it's been a nice excuse to continue to be able to travel. That's awesome. And it really plays into the theme of Back to Human too, because you could just sit at home all day and being on your computer and connecting with people. But through this podcast and through you know having experiences for people all over the world, you're getting to meet people in a more meaningful way. The technology is a bridge for more human relationships for you, and it hasn't been a barrier. You've actually used it the right way, which is the main message in the book. No, absolutely. And that's what we did with under 30 CEO, that's when we started. First of all, that's how we found you with the personal branding blog. Old school. Yeah. I mean, look, there were no other young professional bloggers out there. And so we reached out to, seriously, there were probably a dozen. And other than yours and maybe a couple others, I don't even know who would have had a following like you had. Ryan Pa, Employee Evolution. Yeah, they know you well. Sure. Brazen careerist, right? Remember that before it went on to co-found YEC with Scott Gerber. You know, Jared and I, who's still my business partner, we reached out to people like you and said, wait a second, you guys have amazing content. Why don't we try to create a platform where you can write? And I'm sure you've published on Under 30 CEO before. Last book with Promote Yourself. Yeah. Okay. About four years ago, five years ago. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so that the point really is that we took our online connections and made them offline. And that's how Under 30 Experiences started. 
Yeah. And I think that's like early in my career, I was blogging 12 articles a week, personal branding magazine, which was a quarterly magazine that I produced, distributed, marketed, all of that. And so I was doing all this work, but most of it was online. And thus I realized over the years that, oh my God, like I feel isolated and alone. I need to start to reach out and form more human connections. And so that's, I started going to networking events more because I played off the fact that I'm an introvert. So it's easy for me to just sit home and just type up articles, right? Sure. But being with people is so much more valuable. And so I put extra emphasis on the human connections, but using the digital connections that I had made over the years and bringing them to life. So many of our mutual friends, the Jenny Blakes, the Ryan Paws, like met them over time, of course. And I think it's very hard to form a really strong bond and friendship if you're just texting, if you're just emailing. And what happens a lot of the time, especially in the workplace, which is a lot of my focus for this book, is that people are misunderstood. The fact that email is the biggest thing that gets in the way of human interaction at work, yet in the Harvard Business Review, they found that one face-to-face interaction is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. So anytime you are texting so much or emailing so much and your point's not getting across, people want clarification, uh, people don't perform the right action afterwards, you should have had a phone call, you should have had a face-to-face meeting. Like That's the indicators. If you're using technology too much, your message is not getting across and that's a problem. So it's maybe tailoring the message, but then also using the right medium. So it's the book is not demonizing technology. It's showing that technology can be overused and misused, right? And when you do that, it creates the illusion of this connection that we all have so many friends and such an abundance of things in our life. Yet in reality, there's a study that was conducted of Facebook friends. And then if you have 150 Facebook friends on Facebook, only four you can rely on a time of emotional crisis. So if you're in the hospital because you were injured or you're really sick, only four people will actually come to the hospital or pick up the phone and call you. And so Facebook, in a sense, has redefined friendship. And through this book and through what I'm talking about is we need to create more friendships. And the best way to do that is in person. But you know, between the time of meeting with someone in person or having a phone call, I think the texting and the email thing works. You know, it's it's very interesting. Like I interviewed a hundred top young leaders for the book, and they view technology as being a double-edged sword. Yeah. Right. So it's the good and the bad. It's how, when, and where you use it. Right. That's that's the verdict. And so we can use technology to bring us closer together. You know, I can comment on someone's Instagram profile, and it kind of reminds them that I exist and that I'm adding value. But you know, over time, you'll want to meet them in person or have a phone call or do something a little bit more intimate so you can build on that relationship. So it's a good way of keeping in touch, but it's it can't be the last resort for maintaining a relationship. And so the double-edged sword is this. It's using the technology to have an under-30 experience or to go to a networking event or to go to a meeting. But when you're actually there, be present and attentive because otherwise what's the point of doing all this in the first place? And I think that especially with people of our generation and the real business opportunity that you have is that all this technology has created the experience renaissance. I talk about it in the introduction of the book about how because we're using it, we still have this innate need to connect and form human bonds. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. After safety, security, food, and shelter, we need love and relationships in order to be self-actualized at the top. And so there wasn't these big uh, trips and experiences in the past like there are today with you and other companies. There wasn't you know, these festivals with 100,000 people except for maybe Woodstock many, many years ago. Right. And there wasn't adult day camps. There wasn't yoga and meditation retreats. Like It's not all because of technology, but because we were overlying, just because you're using the technology doesn't mean your innate needs are, are different. It's just such an amazing paradox. And we talk a lot about it on the podcast, how, you know, the levels of loneliness and depression and suicidal thoughts and really, really dark stuff are increasing if you look at the data. But on the totally opposite hand, the connection that we have to be connected with anywhere in the world or your tribe or uh, any of these, this is why these experiences and bringing people together are working so well, because A, you can reach out and market to anybody who is 
like-minded out there who's going to click on your link or see your social media or your Instagram so you can you can attract a really great group of people around you online and you can stay in touch as as you've said now I feel like my friends are spread all across the country especially because it's so easy to log online and and find a job in who knows Kansas City or LA or Seattle or or whatever corner of of the globe that you want to go and work yeah, it's just such a unique, unique time. And um, I, I'm curious a little bit more about, I recently had the same conversation and not the same conversation, but a similar conversation with someone who you and I am sure both know is Pamela Slim. Yeah. And so Pam was saying that she was known, uh, as she said, on small corners of the internet, but she'd walk down her main streets and none of the other business owners had any idea who she was. And so she started an incubator in a little town of Mesa, Arizona, because she felt that was really important to have that connection in today's day and age. So I'm curious your personal story with that. Yeah, I met her years ago. She's lovely. She's a very supportive person. She still likes some of my posts, which is, I mean, it's been many, many years. It was the original, the original crew was, it was two crews. There was one at the ad age, 150. So it's all the marketing bloggers. Okay. And everyone connected with each other in, in that community. And then the other one was the millennial blogger community, which was brazen careerist. Um, but sadly, that is no longer there. I kind of miss those days, to be honest. And it's because it's like you're connecting with people who are like you. You know, if there's only a dozen or so bloggers writing about, you know, how to get a job and interview and establish your career. Sure. You want to feel like you're part of it, right? It's one of the employee engagement factors I talk about in the book, which is belonging. Like you want to feel like you belong to to something because it gives you meaning and it gives you validation that what you're doing is something that other people are doing. And so it validates it. Just the act of someone else performing something similar, performing a similar act to what you're doing. And so for me, I think that networking is number one. I mean, I would say the art of giving before receiving is the foundation of my career. I would say at least 70% of my career is focused on that. The other 30% is probably some aspects of work ethic and creativity and just perseverance, those elements, right? I didn't have the highest IQ. I didn't have the highest SAT scores. I didn't have the highest any of that. Um, but I would always work really hard. And I worked since I was 13, first internship in high school, seven more internships in college, my first business doing website design, sophomore year of college, three and a half years at a company called EMC, which is EMC Dell now. And that was, I went from product marketing to online marketing to creating the first social media role. And I got the social media role because of the work I did with blogging outside of the office and on weekends. Sure. So my, my work week in the, my early 20s was 50 hours at EMC, nights and weekends, blogging, doing the magazine, writing articles for other magazines, just really hustling back then. Like I could never outwork the early 20-something version of me just because it was just so intense. And it's because everything connected in my head. I read Tom Peters' Brain Called You article in March 2007, 10 years after it was written for the cover of Fast Company Magazine, which launched Fast Company. Wow. So if you talk to the founders of Fast Company Magazine, they always point to Tom Peters' article. Oh, interesting. And then Fast Company profiled me 10 years to the day that his article came out originally, and it was one week after they profiled Tim Ferriss. So that kind of helped me with the initial contact to Tim Ferriss back then too. And he's out of Austin, a random uh, circumstance. But I think it is about this long-term play. It's all about you know, understanding that the relationships are number one, they're the foundation of the career. I think of personal branding and relationships and a lot of the things that we talk about as a way to protect you. And I say the word protection because most people think it's about differentiation, about competing against other people, getting more opportunities. And sure, that's a big part of it. But the foundation is that the more people that know of you and your abilities, the more opportunities that creates so that if you get laid off, if something bad happens, you have things to fall back on. And in my opinion, that's so important, especially with a very volatile uh, economy where who knows what could happen in 10 years. We might all be working for robots, right? Like we don't right. know how that's going to 
completely play out. There will be job losses. There'll be job gains. We don't know. But as long as you constantly put value out into the marketplace on a regular basis, for me, back then, it was two blog posts a day, seven days a week. And now it's two Instagram posts every single day, seven days a week. And that's, I'm growing. I'm doing exactly what I did, I'm doing on Instagram the same way I did on blogging. I commented on every single blog that mentioned personal branding. Now I, it's a little bit more strategic. I'm finding profiles that are relevant and commenting on those. So it's, it's the same level of effort in a new medium and it works the same way. It's how do I add value consistently? Because if you're out there on a consistent basis, that's what builds a reputation and brand, right? If you post once every six months, that's not going to do it. You have to always be out there. And I think especially now, the market's very saturated. Back then with my first book, I mean, I made such a, a big impact with my first book because there were fewer outlets. There was less content being created. And now TV and other podcasts and blogging and radio and newspapers, everything is competing now against what we're doing right now. So this conversation, you know, we could be watching TV, we could be listening to a podcast, we could be doing a lot of other things, but we're here in this moment. And so all the other mediums are competing with this moment for our eyes. And to me, that's what makes it a great opportunity, but a great challenge at the same time, much like technology is a double-edged sword. The mass medium now, I mean, the mass fragmentation of the media has done the same thing. Everyone can get in, but because everyone can come in, it's enormously competitive. So you have to be that much better. No, that's, uh, yeah, it's insane how much content, if you look at the statistics, is being put out there every every day. And even they start talking about the environmental impact of all of this content because of all the servers that this takes and all the air conditioning that has to cool these servers. I mean, it's it's insane. So yeah, I mean, and that's a real you know, that's they talk about cryptocurrency, and that's one of the the biggest downsides of it. I'm sure it will get more efficient, uh, hopefully. Yeah, and it's got to be relevant to you because someone who's lived in Costa Rica, like there's a lot of green out there. It's not like New York where the only green here is money, right? In Costa Rica, it's like partially a jungle, right? And so for sure, my assumption is that you care about the environment more because you saw the difference between living in Austin and other places and living in like a more of a jungle type paradise. And, uh, and you want to protect that. No, absolutely. And, and spread the word about that. Yeah, I could go on and on. But actually, I wanted to go back to something that you said, Dan, about 70%. You said something about 70% of your career being networking. And I know that you didn't mean that you spend 70% of your time networking because I know you networking doesn't pay the bills. Uh, but I was hoping that you could break down networking a little bit more because it's kind of a dirty word in the sense that we're all used to somebody rolls up on you slinging business cards and you're like, uh, networking is not for me or everybody's gone to that awkward event. And also, you've just explained some of the ways in which you network. And in fact, uh, all of this technology, just liking someone's posts, as you said, helps people remember that you are still out there, that you're still alive. And uh, yeah, you might not have seen Pam Slim in 10 years, but she liked your post and that keeps top of mind. Uh, John Hall, I think you probably yeah. know John Hall. He he wrote a book. Oh yeah, he's a genius about all about keeping in touch with people. One of the best. And also we've linked up, uh, or sorry, we've mentioned a lot of different things in including, I think it was Tom Peters' article, the original article that launched Fast Company, now John Hall's book. I'm going to link up all these things on under30co.com with the show notes. But please, Dan, take it away and tell us a little bit more about networking and your approach. I would say in general, when I said the 70%, I think all of that does lead to new business. I think the only way I can generate business at this point is inbound and outbound. And when I mean outbound, I guess some cold emails and calls, but it's really about speaking at events and then meeting all the HR leaders at events to try and connect with them. And so I think that networking and content creation, the combination of the two, both in a sense are long-term plays. You know, it's, it's not like within 24 hours, I'm going to sign a new client. It takes time based on my business model. And as a result, it is 
it is the name recognition and the added value through content production and the effort for networking. Both of those are the only ways I do make money. And so I think that spending time networking can be in itself a business. But I think, I mean, look at the salespeople. It is all networking. And so when I think of networking, I think of, okay, who is this person? I'm not going to like just network with anyone because it doesn't make sense for both parties. I get messages all the time on LinkedIn. Hey, can we do this together? Or you want to do this? It never makes sense unless their title is HR director, HR VP, head of people for a company, because then it makes a lot more sense, right? right? Because these are the people I do business with. And so I think a focused approach is important. Both parties need to win. I believe in giving, like I was saying. I believe in targeting, finding the right people that you want to build relationships with, and then reconnecting. These are the four uh, rules of relationship building I wrote in Promote Yourself. And so I think you got to reconnect, like you were saying before. Stay top of mind, but it's also thinking of ways you can benefit the other person. Be targeted because you only have so much time on this earth and you want to spend it smartly. Like everyone talks about working hard versus working smart. The best way to work smart is to have a targeted approach. Know what you want and just go for those opportunities. The problem when people submit for a job or start a company for a job sake, they will send their resume to 1,600 employers. And they're not going to get much attention for that because it's cookie cutter. But for me, when I got my first job out of school, I just wanted to work at one company. When I wanted to go to a school, I just wanted to go to this one school. And so I went all in. I interviewed on campus. I did anything possible to break in and I got both opportunities. So I think less is more, more focused, more care and attention matters and allows you to stand out, especially when there's so many resumes going on. Like Google, I think it's 14,000 a day or something like that. So if you want to stand out, you got to meet people like Google. You have to, you know, be creative in how you're presenting yourself. Otherwise you're not going to get the opportunity. And so I think the focus approach matters. If you're, you know, under 30 entrepreneur trying to build a business, you don't have many resources. You know, and because you don't have many resources, you have to have a focused approach to survive. If you try and be mass market, it's just too hard unless you have the capital to do it. And it might not even make sense in the beginning. Think about who the, your real target consumer is and go all in and try and service them. Because once you start to build a business, you have cash flow, you have, you have uh, resources, you're able to expand and reach other audiences. So I think the focus approach for networking, building a business, doing anything is very important. Even dating. I mean, if you just try and date everyone, it's just going to waste everyone's time and yours. Knowing what you want, being self-aware is the secret of narrowing the audience across your entire life so you can invest more time in fewer people and get a bigger payoff. Okay, great. Uh, Could you talk a little bit, Dan, about how to stand out in this crowded world? You mentioned dating. The word that comes up in my mind is peacocking. There was some, I don't know, there was some LA-based, I think, pickup artist that had the a game. show. For, okay, that yeah, the game. that's right. Yeah. Neil Strauss. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Neil Strauss always talked about how to stand out and he'd, I don't know, wear crazy clothes or look a little bit different so that women would notice him. Uh, but how do you, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but uh, how can your content stand out and how can people stand out as professionals? Okay. Great question. For me right now, I'll just give an example. On Instagram, I see a lot of people just copying each other's content. They see that a funny video got someone else 100,000 views, so they put that same video up. And I think that's the wrong way of doing it. It's kind of a short-term strategy to get views that don't really amount to much. Whereas my approach is everything I post is unique to me. Meaning that a lot of people will post a picture of a celebrity and a quote from them that they found on Google or some other website. For me, if I do that, it's a quote from my interview with that person. So it's very personalized. This is coming from me and and my conversation I had. And so I'm always thinking about that. How can I make this unique to me? And these words have to come from me. I don't want to copy other people. So the best way to stand out, therefore, is to be yourself and be authentic in the same way we would talk about with blogging 10 years ago. Same thing, just new mediums. So regardless of the medium, I think the core principles apply. It's how are you benefiting the audience? How are you demonstrating your thoughts in in kind of a unique, authentic way where it's your voice, no one else's, and you're not copying people? And three, 
in my opinion, how do you share this platform with other people in a way which you're creating a system or a partnership so that everyone in your community is supporting each other? And what I mean by that is if someone on Instagram, for instance, puts up an Instagram story promoting something that I did, I share what they did. Sure. Right? That's how you build community. The other thing is, is I'll promote someone else's program. They might pr- promote something I'm doing, like my book. It's about community building. Just like in the Brazen Careers days, it's, okay, how do we help each other? Like if we're all into this, if we're all putting effort forward into this on Instagram, for instance, the self-help space, how can we all benefit together so we can rise rise up uh, instead of trying to compete against each other? After analyzing over 2,000 successful people, my conclusion is that people don't compete against other people. People, really successful people don't. They compete against themselves. Hmm. That's interesting. Right. So I'm, I'm not thinking about how do I get better than someone else? I'm thinking about how do I up my own game? How can I get better? And so one of the ways I've done that this year and started at the end of last year is most of my interviews over the past decade have been phone calls or through email. And now I'm trying to do more in person on video. Like I just did Simon Sinek, Chris Anderson. I'm going to be doing more. I did Richard Branson. I'm, I want to do more of that because it's challenging. I haven't done it before uh, or I haven't done it too much. And it's a, a new skill set for me. And it puts me outside of my comfort zone. And so I think the only way to grow as a person is to challenge yourself. And I see video like we're doing here as the new frontier. And it's the new frontier because of this. Because if you start off with a email interview, you can never go to video or audio. If you start off with a podcast without video, you can never go to video. But if you start out with video, you get the video, you get the audio, and then you can you can extract quotes from it for an article. So I think video is king. Not because a lot of people like watching videos, but because it has multi-purpose and multi-use. To me, that's extremely powerful and important. And even it might seem obvious, but I think that more people should do that if they're comfortable. And if they're not comfortable, do it anyways. No, I I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'll try to link up the Gary Vaynerchuk content model that he put out about how to take one interview like we're doing now and then put that into 25 different pieces of content across all of the social media platforms and it takes a lot of time to create all that content. Yeah. I interviewed him end of last year and it was a really great interview because it was my, I think, fourth interview with him since we both started out. And yeah, it's so powerful. You know, I can, I can use that forever. That's the other thing people don't recognize is you have a successful company or you interview someone or you have some sort of achievement or you've been to 40 countries, that is something that could be leveraged for your whole life. Sure. Right? People don't understand that. They think, oh, I got to do this to get to this. No, when you hit this milestone, when you do this thing, this is something you can always have and will always help you if you know how to use it the right way. Right? And so I'm always thinking about how do I... How do I do things that are unique to me that advance me, but then create assets? Here's a great example. I literally have video footage from my first speech in 2006. Awesome. I was thinking about this back then. And so I have all these clips from, from my whole life that I, I can use now and repurpose. It's the mindset of being a collector, a content collector. You, anything and everything could be content, right? Like you walking down the street and taking a picture. That could be content. Like anything could be. And so I think the art of producing, publishing, and saving content is invaluable. It's a mindset that you need to have because there will be new mediums in 5, 10, 50 years. And if you save all this content, you can always use it again. And that's what Instagram has taught me because I've already, I already have over 10 years of content and Instagram has, has taught me, oh, wow, like you can, you can now take clips and do things with, with all the content you've always developed and put in a new, a new medium. Of course. Uh, Dan, so first of all, I understand that you want to keep your content new and fresh and exciting, yet you can repurpose old stuff. I completely agree. Or if I, for example, if I take a little time off from podcasting because I've been doing it for almost four years, yeah, there's 150 episodes that I can take clips from and and do mashup episodes because that's, you know, that's 150 hours of, of content that I have to find the best stuff and put that together. There's a lot of value in that. But my question for you is, how do you produce content 
when the whole world seems to be about me, 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 and you don't want to be narcissistic. And I realized that I, I found that when it's a picture of me and it's travel content and uh, I put that up on Instagram, that always does better than the landscape shots. I mean, I'm not the best photographer in the world, but I'm, I'm really not bad. I know how to frame up a, a pretty good picture, but it's not going to do as well as that personal touch that I have. But I don't want to post two pictures a day of myself. I mean, nothing makes me cringe more than seeing dudes with their shirt off on Instagram every single day. But I know that does well because, yeah, because I work hard in the gym. You know, that's that's just how the world is. But it does make me cringe a little bit. In fact, it makes me feel rather uncomfortable. No. So I, I think of it differently. I think you just have to do you. You can worry about things. Some of the things that the last day, I, I mean, some of my posts have gotten half the views. You can't just always do that. It has to feel right. It has to be authentic. And it's based on your comfort level. Sure. So if you're not comfortable having multiple pictures of yourself, don't do it. If you are, then do it. Like, It's not like a magic formula. It's more of what's going to work for you because what works for you won't work for someone else. And the more we think and try and copy what other people are doing on Instagram or these social networking sites, the more we drift from who we actually are which limits our potential, not creates the potential that we're looking to have based on other people's metrics. Yeah, and it's about providing value for other people. I had a a podcast guest on recently and I was talking to him about his strategy. We were kind of nerding out on, on content because he had built quite a nice following very quickly. And I was like, every every picture on Instagram is you with a shirt that looks like it's painted on and it just didn't do it for me, but it didn't provide a lot of value for me. So I'm like, who are this guy? Who are these guys followers? So anyway, yeah, I, I appreciate the bit just about being authentic. Uh, and but so if people are wanting to provide value to people and discover what if someone's sitting out there and be like, well, what value do I have to someone and they're not really quite sure or how they know they have value, but they don't quite know how to frame it. What would you tell that person? You could get help, hire a consultant, ask for friends, anyone else you know in the business world. You could just take a vacation. And by taking a vacation, it opens up your mind to thinking about things differently. So it's really interesting. When I ask people what makes them the most creative, in the survey, it said in conver- like when you're in conversation with other people. So that goes back to what I was saying in, in terms of talk with a friend or an expert or someone to help you. But it's also having alone time, having alone time in new environments because that will take you out of your normal day to day. And as a result, you will might think of things differently in a new way. And that could be very helpful. And then the other thing is if you're not really sure what you want to do or you're lost and stuck. You just got to keep trying new things. That's it. I mean, that the best advice I could ever give anyone, regardless of age, is do as much as you can as early in life. If you want to find what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what the market will pay you for. That is all figured out over time based on experiences. You don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know if you're going to like playing the violin if you've never played it. You're not going to know if you're better as an employee than an entrepreneur unless you try both, right? And and the great part about life is you can't, you know, I'm not going to prevent you from starting another company, you know, under, under 30 technology lovers, right? Like you could do that. You could do that on the side if you want. You can do anything you want. And so once you have these experiences, once you figure out what you like, what you don't like, who you like to work with, who you don't, then you have a, a clearer sense of direction of where you can go in. But without having the experiences, you're limiting yourself from discovering your passion, being more fulfilled, and and really having a focus because it's really easy in our society to get diverted based on what other people are expecting of you, other people influencing you, all the perceived abundance around you, all these posts of people living, supposedly living their best life on Instagram. So I think we need to stop and pause and reflect a little bit more. You know, I think people are have trouble being at one with themselves. And I think that 
being in other experiences like what you're offering, going on vacations, just taking a break, going for a walk, these simple things or, you know, just traveling in general can really help open your mind and, and keep you, give you focus. And then there's so many other business owners. I mean, look, look what you're, you've created other, why you see all these different communities become part of these communities and through those conversations, through that support system, it'll help, it can help you as well. Well, that's certainly easy advice for me to agree with. And Dan, I wanted to actually go back to the workplace for a moment. Something that you said in the very beginning where some of these different mediums are, it's difficult to communicate and get the right message across, especially when it comes to the tone of things like emails or Slack messages. And you were saying, oh, maybe I should have had that conversation in person. And uh, I've had some interpersonal stuff come up within our company uh, recently, and I've tried to coach people on, hey, look. So, okay, so I'll, I'll give you an example. We're very open to debate within our company. We really want to encourage friendly debate. I do not want to build a company that everyone just agrees with me as the boss, because then I'm just paying people to be a cog in the wheel rather than paying people to think. And I really value other people's opinions, right? Uh, and so a decision was made and somebody had disagreed with it, right? And they sent a Slack message to three people who were higher up, up than them disagreeing with the decision that had already been made. And it just didn't come off right. And I had to try to coach that uh, member of the team a little bit into, hey, look, debate is really important, but sometimes if it's a very difficult decision, it's already been made and you disagree with it, there's a probably would have been a better way to address that rather than blast three people on a Slack message. Uh, and then it's immediate like, oh, bam, that just hit me in the face. And I'm, I don't know, at home after hours, I need to respond to this. And now, you know, it's not fun to be in reactive mode. So this comes up all the time in organizations. It comes up all the time in families as well in interpersonal relationships outside of the office. So how would you say we could better handle these types of situations. Yeah, handling arguments and disagreements using technology is not a great use of it. But reminding <laughs> people to get on a conference call using technology makes perfect sense. So next time when you feel the emotion of anger or you're upset, basically anything emotional, take it offline. Video conference is probably the best if you have remote workers, in person if they're in your office, or even a phone call. Right, because otherwise it's just going to make it worse. And blasting other people, and emailing, and having them forward it to other people—it just makes things way worse than they need to be. So I think it comes down to emotion. I mean, you can send a thousand emojis, and that's really not going to have an impact. Yeah. And actually, there's a study about how if you send an emoji through email, you're perceived as dumber. Wow. So yes. It's not dumber. It's less competent. That's a nicer way of saying it. Okay. What about Slack? So, you know, Slack, it's again, it's messaging, email. It's just a faster way of messaging. So the thing with Slack and Twitter and instant and like Gchat and all these and just texting is it, it happens instantly. Whereas an email, before you send it, you're at least putting some thought into it. With these instant messaging services, it is quick and you're usually not putting as much thought into it, which can be very uh, a very big issue. So again, I would say that it feels like people are going to take you the wrong way, or you're it's highly emotional. You don't want to do it that way. You want to text and be like, "Hey, do you have a second in an hour or tomorrow to talk about this? I, I'd love to uh, provide maybe another solution." So it's about how you handle it and how you address it and then the medium in which you use to address it. That's what's important. Sure, and and trying not to fight fire with fire. So if you get one of these messages and it's after hours and you, you feel like you should send a message back, uh, but where the old, you know, there was the old email rule where, all right, if uh, you want to send an angry email, save it as drafts, wait till the morning, sleep on it, and then you'll probably never send it. Or uh, I think it was Abe Lincoln was 
famous for writing the letters that he always wanted to send to people and then he'd just throw them out. And uh, it was much better not to not to send them. It was his way of venting, probably. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And yeah, so if you get one, all right, hey, let's wait till it's uh, between the hours of nine to five, first of all, because you're just adding excess stress to uh, the time outside of the workplace. And yeah, maybe just not respond to it and say, hey, look, let's let's take this up on a phone call or or in person. Um, Dan, I wanted to ask you about this work uh, connectivity index from your book. Could you explain that to us a little bit? Yes. So I work with Kevin Rockman, who's a professor at George Mason University. He's one of maybe just a handful of people who have studied work isolation. And so what I did was I partnered with him and we developed a tool called the Work Connectivity Index, WIC, and it measures the strength of your work relationships, the ones with your teammates. Okay. You either have high connectivity or poor connectivity. Of course, high connectivity means you're getting enough interaction. The relationship is strong. Uh, very poor connectivity is an issue. It means that you have, you have weak relationships. And if you have weak relationships with your team, they're much more likely to quit their job. Right. So the connection that I make in the book is strong team relationships means high productivity and higher team and organizational commitment. And that to me is important because let's say you're trying to build a business as an under 30 something. Oh, and you have weak relationships with your team and you end up spending more time replacing them than you do actually building your business, which means it will fail. So those relationships, especially when you're first starting off, are even more important than they might be when you have 10,000 people under you. Then you want to spread the socialization within the organization so the leaders are equipped to handle people. And so in the study we did with Virgin Pulse of over 2,000 managers, employees in 10 countries, we found that if you have weaker relations with your team, because you're always using the technology, you feel more isolated and lonely and you're more likely to leave. And this is especially too with remote workers and you have remote workers and I work remote. Everyone has always talked about the light side of working remote, which is you get the freedom and flexibility to work when, where, and how you want. And it's an amazing thing. Technology has powered the remote workforce. In the study, we found a third of the global workforce works remote, but no one ever talks about the dark side. And the dark side, if you're not careful, is the isolation and loneliness you feel when you're always alone, when you're not getting the human touch. And that's why it's really important for leaders, especially those who are managing remote employees, to keep the engagement high by, you know, what we found is social events, team building activities, an annual retreat. You know, if you ever want to get into servicing companies, taking, you know, teams on an annual retreat, I think there's a huge opportunity for that. And then just basically using video conferencing and phone calls in order to at least personalize things and, and create a more human connection because if you have remote workers and they're working remote full time and you're just texting and emailing them, they're more, much more likely to leave. They're just not going to be as plugged in. It's going to be uh, worse for your organization. So the annual retreats, definitely. And anybody listening, I will plug right now our custom experiences brand. And we do bring companies on on retreats. But how can how can we go beyond happy hours and trust falls? Yeah. Well, what we found is that taking workers outside of the normal office, wherever they are, is the best way to build a more socialized workplace where people are becoming friends or even best friends at work, which leads to higher retention numbers. So I think that team building activities like volunteering, you know, building homes in another country or, or, or reading to little children or helping out at a nursing home, like things as small as that, because you get to know people on a more personal level that way. I do think dinners and everything works. The thing is, you need the core to be there. So you need to trust your leader. You need a sense of belonging. You need to feel happy, genuinely happy, and you need a purpose at work. And if you don't have those four employee engagement factors set in and as the foundation for your work culture, then nothing else actually matters, right? Compensation, it'll, it could help for a certain period of time and then it wears off because it's a toxic environment. And the conclusion I made is if you have purpose in your work, if you love what you do, but you don't like who you do it with and they're toxic, 
you're much more likely to leave than if you don't like the work you do and you have a supportive team and leader. Okay. So work is the work you do and who you do it with and who you do it with is more important than the work you do. That's what I argue. Okay. So for entrepreneurs out there, so much has been written about company culture and uh, how and hiring. And that's, that's fairly, well, it's, it's easier said than done, but there's a lot out there for people to go out and read about. But what if people are interviewing for new jobs, they find themselves, they're listening at this, this at work and they say, okay, I don't really fit in here. I need to find a place where I do fit in and I can have a greater connectivity with the people around me at work. But through the traditional interview path and blast out my resume everywhere, that's not exactly the best way to go about things to find a place where you're really going to feel connected. So what would you tell those people? I think you need a a top 10 list. That's what I tell my friends. They're like, help me get a job. And I'm like, you have to create a top 10 list or I'm not doing anything. Okay. (laughs) Top 10 list is the top 10 companies you would seriously work for. If you can't make a top 10 list, you're not willing to put enough effort into your job search. So you shouldn't expect a good outcome. But, but how do you know, right? So you could say, Oh, Google top of that because I want to be in the, in the nap pod. But do you really know if you'll fit in there? It's kind of like, it's kind of like colleges, right? You don't know until you know what I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying, Matt, is for instance, what if you wear a Fitbit and you think it's a great company and you work in San Francisco, that's a nice starting point to have them on your top 10 list because in that interview, when you're applying, you're going to give it more care. You're going to be excited in the interview and have a positive attitude, which is one of the big things that people look for naturally without faking it because you like the product. You wear the product. You're walking to the interview wearing the product. So you'll be taken more seriously. Like I didn't get a, a job at TJX because I didn't shop there. And they asked me that. And it's a legitimate question. Hey, do you, when was the last time you shopped here? And I said, I don't shop there. And then they rolled me out. And in the moment, I'm like, this is awful. But you know, over time, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. I don't blame them. So I think the starting point is let's identify companies that we think are awesome, that okay. we maybe wear, maybe they're consumer-oriented or not. We like the companies first. And then, like anything else, you got to find you know, where the job openings, you have connections there, and then you start to interview. And in the interview, it's not just one-way street. It's you asking them questions, you showing your curiosity, saying, you know, what is a typical day here? You see their office, you get a pretty good sense for what it could be, but you'll never know if it's the perfect or the best environment for you until you start working. It's impossible. Is there any way to sniff that out? I'll give you an example. Uh, American Apparel, right, is a famously dysfunctional company. But you might be sitting there right now and saying, I really like comfy T-shirts and I'm into fashion and I wear their stuff and shopping at their stores uh, really suits my lifestyle. I'd like to work for them. But then you get into the organization and you realize, oh, my God, I don't know if this is still the case, but American Apparel is a famous example. I know that for sure. How do you find out those things? Yeah, well, there's, there's two things. There's two things. One is you talk to people who work there currently. And two, especially for an American Apparel, is you go on Google News and you type in American Apparel, and then you'll, you'll find out if it's public. But if it's not public, talk to people at the company. And let's say they have a 1,000 employees, email every single employee until you get a response. Sure. And going back to what I was saying, it's like don't spray and pray in terms of resume, but at least it is kind of the law of numbers when it comes to reaching out. Like, as you know, like if you want to book a guest in your podcast, you might have to reach out to 50 people to get five bookings. You might. Right. And that's something that I've always done is if first you don't succeed, try and try again. And over time you will hear back from some people and that data that you're collecting with through those conversations or those email responses will help you make a more informed decision. Right. And glassdoor.com is another site. It's, it's about collecting data to make a more informed decision, not just as a consumer when you're buying a product, but when you're trying to work for a company. Sure. Glassdoor as something as an entrepreneur is something that is important to me. And I very often read Glassdoor comments about other companies in our space, our competitors, to see 
why people end up being disgruntled or what it's like to work at those companies. There's a competitor of ours who it's very much known as a drinking culture at the company. So people write all the time, well, it's a really fun place to work, except you might get burned out from going to happy hour every single night. And, you know, the employee retreat is like X, Y, and Z. And, you know, there's a lot of, and so I've very consciously said, all right, I want to build something completely different than, than that. Okay, Dan, I wanted to ask you before we wrap up here, one thing that you are a master of is building credibility. And you just said, all right, if you're trying to start a podcast or podcast is an easy example right now, because I think we were talking offline about how people are really taking podcasting seriously right now, just like they took starting a blog seriously 10 years ago. But you want to reach out and you want to get good guests, but you're just starting uh, or you know, this could be getting featured on somebody's Instagram or doing any type of business development work, partnerships, etc. What is your advice for someone to build their own personal credibility? Start small. It's always going to be that. Start small. Have guests on you people haven't heard of before. Have another one on, have another one on, have another one on. You know, use those five shows to, to prove to people who you think are more successful that you have a cool show have them on hopefully or someone else and then build it. So it's just small steps before big leaps. So interview my first few interviews with people you've never heard of before. And sure. then I've interviewed more successful people. So as you build the platform, as you grow your reputation, it gets easier to get certain people on, but don't feel entitled that people are just going to want to come to you or they'll always say, yes, you just have to keep pounding and hitting and hard and, and reaching out and never giving up. And, and so it just takes time. Yet we live in a world that wants instant gratification and instant gratification is not a good strategy for building something in the long term. Great. And uh, Dan, do you have any sage advice you would like to leave the listeners, especially around what's in your book and uh, how great leaders can create connection in the age of isolation? Yeah, I think that we need to use technology as a bridge to form stronger bonds with the people that we work with, our family and friends, and not let it be a barrier between us and them. Let it create more under 30 or human experiences so that we can have more fulfilling lives. Dan Chavel, that is sage advice indeed. Where can people get involved with your community and reach out to you directly as well as find your book. Yeah, it's Dan Shabell on Instagram. The book is Back to Human and my podcast is Five Questions with Dan Shabell. Great. We'll link it all up on under30co.com. Dan, I really appreciate your time today. Great catching up. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> 